Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 186 called Corey. This episode is supported by Receptiva DX. The Receptiva DX test can help couples struggling with unexplained infertility. Getting pregnant isn't easy, as so many of you know. Many couples struggle with infertility, and unexplained infertility can be particularly frustrating. Women facing unsuccessful IVF may not know that endometriosis is the underlying cause, a disease that can impact the success rates of IVF treatments and often has no symptoms. The Receptiva DX test can help identify endometriosis before an embryo transfer, and it has the potential to save women the stress, anxiety, and cost of multiple failed IVF attempts. The good news is multiple studies show treatment of women with a positive Receptiva DX test improves live birth outcomes by over 50%. Receptiva DX can detect all stages of endometriosis and help women make better decisions in planning for pregnancy. You can learn more at ReceptivaDX.com or download their app, which is also called Receptiva DX. Today's episode is presented by Belly. Belly offers modern prenatal vitamins optimized for fertility, prenatal, and post-pregnancy health. To learn more about how to optimize your fertility and pregnancy health, check out their vegan-friendly, dairy-free, non-GMO vitamins for both men and women at bellybaby.com. That's spelled B-E-L-I-B-A-B-Y.com. The best part, if you use code ALLY15, you'll get 15% off your first month of either Belly Women or Belly Men. Again, that's code ALLY15, A-L-I-1-5 for 15% off. Thanks, Belly. Okay, guys, I love this guest I have on today. I had such an amazing time talking to Corey Silverberg, who's a sex educator and author of many books, but the latest book is called You Know Sex, a graphic style book that the New York Times recently called one of the books about sex that every family should read. And I could not agree more. The New York Times book review said, Silverberg's writing is fearless. Here's that rare voice that can talk about the hardest things kids go through in ways that are thoughtful, lighthearted, and always respectful of their intelligence. And that's one of the reasons I love talking to Corey. So we're going to get into all of it. The fact that, you know, sex is the first thoroughly modern sex education book for everybody. And it not only covers the big three of puberty, hormones, reproduction, and development, it also talks about power, pleasure, and how to be a decent human being. It obviously also talks about fertility and miscarriage and all the things. So it's a breakthrough. It's a revelation. I loved it. And without further ado, this is Corey's Infertility Story. So, hey, Corey, it's so good to talk to you today. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's nice to meet you. Yes. So you are the author of this new book that came out, many books, but this is your fourth book called You Know Sex. It's like a graphic style novel. I don't know if you like that term, but that's how I would describe it at least. It came out in April. The New York Times recently called it one of the books about sex that every family should read. And I emphatically agree. I've been flipping through it. You know, I have a daughter who's almost 13. I have a son who's okay. six and a half. So this book, I want to sit down with her and like go through some of the chapters. 
And one of the reviews for your book says, Silverberg's writing is fearless. Here's that rare voice that can talk about the hardest things kids go through in ways that are thoughtful, lighthearted, and always respectful of their intelligence. So thank you for writing this book, first of all. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Yeah. So tell <laughs> me, this is kind of a, a trilogy, right? We were talking a little bit mm -hmm. before we started recording. Tell me about the, the other books that you've written so far, and then we'll talk about this one. Sure. Well, so it started actually with with this book called What Makes a Baby that was really written because no book like it existed. So uh, it has a very particular um, origin, but it ends up being very broad, which is that it was, I, I was, uh, around the time I had a lot of friends that were starting to make babies. And um, and a lot of my friends were trans. And so in, in Toronto, where I was living at the time, there's a big community of trans parents. So these are families that uh, are usually using an egg donor or a sperm donor, mm -hmm. sometimes both. Um, not doing it the old-fashioned way, I would say. Mm -hmm. And one of my closest friends uh, had a four-year-old son, and him and his partner were about to have another baby. And this, their son finally started asking questions. And the fact is that no books worked for them, right? Because every every book at the time that was out there says you have a mom and a dad, who, by the way, you both live with, who love each other. <laughs> right. Uh, and, Everything's and perfect. Exactly. No, really. Like it's just yeah. that it's it's kind of nuts when you think about it. When you're born using your dad's sperm and your mom's egg. And it, and it went, and, and there's, there's no indication that it ever was a problem. It just happened. Um, and that's the end of the story. And of course, that's not true for so many of us. Mm -hmm. um, but I actually happened to be focused on this particular piece, which was trans families and queer families. As it turns out, once I wrote it, quite quickly, I realized, of course, I have lots of heterosexual families in, in my life that were using fertility support of some kind. And there's single parent families, and there's families that adopted. And it's the sex education piece. What we, what I really was aware of was, you know, there's lots of books about how, fa how, how, how we make relationships for kids, but the sex education piece about, well, how are babies made was only telling this one story. And it's annoying to me that parents have to, when they want to tell their kid this very important story that they also have to say, but we're different, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so, you, so here's this, but we don't, you know, and, and do this piece of like, which makes us all feel a little bit weird, sometimes mm -hmm. bad. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we should have to do that. I think we should be able to tell our kids the stories of their lives in a way that centers their experience. And, and it, of, course, of course, can say there's lots of ways to do it. Sure. Um, so it started there. And then the story is that it was a, it was a Kickstarter actually. So I, I just, the publishers weren't interested at the time. So I did it. It went viral. We became the most funded picture book they had ever had at the time. And then publishers started coming to us. So I, I um, signed a three book deal. And so myself and Fiona Smith made three books. So you have yeah. the newest one. Um, I have it right here. Puberty age kids. So yep. there's a lot more, you know, the first one is like 32 pages. It looks just like a plain picture book. The book you have, I think, is a graphic. I mean, graphic novel is a good way to describe it. And mm -hmm. it goes through everything, including getting into kind of the details of fertility and reproduction that, you know, if you tried to do it with a four-year-old, they would just be bored. So, totally. so we didn't do it with the first one. Yeah. One of the descriptions that I want to read, I think it was from your website, which is just, I couldn't say it better myself. So I'm just going to read what you already wrote, which is, it says, it's the first thoroughly modern sex education book for everybody covering not only the big three of puberty, hormones, reproduction, and development, but also power, pleasure, and how to be a decent human being. And mm -hmm. that makes me want to cry, Corey, because <laughs> I'm like, it's that's so fucking awesome that you include yeah. all that as well. Because as we were saying before we started recording, you know, one of the very, very common themes that I find when I'm interviewing people for this podcast and in Fertility Rally, which is my membership community, people just have had very bad sex education, including myself. Right. 
You know, we were taught, this is what I was taught growing up. If you have sex without a condom, you will get pregnant. So don't Mm -hmm. have sex without a condom. The end period, blah, 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 blah. So when I found myself, you know, going through the secondary infertility journey, you know, I had my daughter, no problems, thank God. And then I had four losses and I ended up using IVF to have my son because I was older. I didn't know anything about my fertility. I was like, what? After 35, like things happen to your eggs. And, you know, like there was just so many pieces of it that I didn't know. And I was like, I felt so gypped that like I hadn't learned that. So that's, again, that's why I wanted to have you on today, because I think this is such a breakthrough and the stuff that you're talking about is so important. So everybody get this book, get all the books, but you know, I, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. (laughs) Um, uh, sorry. I'm uncomfortable with praise. So I'm always like, "Ah, me too, but Uh, I mean, I'm not being emphatic. I'm like, this is legit. No, I I do appreciate it. But, but, but so I'm 52. And so this is absolutely my experience of having so many women in my life who were told who were ripped off, right. Who were ripped off by their sex education and by their general education, because they were told not only it's so easy to get pregnant, that all you need to focus on is not getting pregnant. Yes, yes, but exactly. But they were also told in all sorts of other ways through TV and film that the thing that makes them a woman is by is like giving birth. Yes. Right? To be a woman, that the only thing that a, a real mom gives birth and a real woman gives birth. Yes. And so, it's so it was so clear to me supporting friends through this that so much of the pain, I mean, of course it's, of course, I mean, particularly miscarriages, um, any kind of loss is hard and it will always be hard. But there was this added pain of feeling like you were a failed woman, mm-hmm. failed human, mm-hmm. um, broken, which, broken, not I, a real I, woman. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I saw it so clearly about that early education. So in our books, we don't do any of that stuff, right? And it's interesting because because part of because I'm gender queer, so part of mm-hmm. the work of of doing gender differently in the books is about being more gender expansive. But it's also just, it's, but it's also for all the people who are binary, like like to stop saying, you know. Puberty is the, so for example, in this new book, we never say puberty is a time when boys become men and girls become women. Right. Because that's not, because, because going through this very difficult thing, time that's awful, uh, where your hormones are raging, like everything's changing. That's not, I, I don't I disagree. I don't think that's what makes you a woman or a man. Totally. Right? And I think the idea that, again, the part of the thing we're working against is the idea that we're ever done. Right. Yeah. That that it's like kind of like that. There's this change, right? So as you're saying, right? Like no one told you. Wait, at 35, everything starts changing, because sex education traditionally is always this like the big change is puberty. After puberty, you're fine. Your body's you know after 18. Yeah. And of course, anyone who's survived past 18 knows that our bodies keep changing. Right. And then they're like, you either have kids or you don't, and then it's menopause, and then you're dead. Like it's just (laughs) there's so many intricacies that are glossed over and so many parts of development and becoming, as you say, a decent human being, mm-hmm. um, which are, are just totally not covered. So mm-hmm. tell me about, you were raised by a librarian and a sex therapist, correct? correct? Correct. So tell me about what did you know about sex and family building when you were growing up? Like, what were you taught? What was it talked about a lot in your home? Like it was, it seems it was. like so, a pretty I mean, woke environment. Maybe that you well, did. except it was the seventies. I mean, I mean, I guess it was for its time in its world. Right. So I grew up in this like middle-class Jewish home. Okay. Um, definitely more progressive around sex than any of my peers, friends. Um, mm-hmm. uh, my father had a weird, I mean, father, so my father had been a family doctor. So it was a bit weird. Like, so there was a little bit of like, it's okay. Cause he was a doctor. 
But by the time I was um, a, a, like a, a toddler, he was already practicing sex therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so definitely that was a weird job in the mm-hmm. 70s and unusual. Um, I think, so the, the truth is, I'm, so the things, I had all the books, right? So I had all the sex ed books there were. So there was never any mystery about like where babies came from. I think honestly, to be honest, I mean, and this isn't necessarily related to <laughs> this topic, but the difference was that I was told that sex was not a bad thing, that in fact, it was a good thing. And in fact, because my parents had grown up in the 50s, pretty emphatically told, like, do not get married right away, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you probably want to explore yourself and your body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they didn't say this, but the message kind of was like, you know, it was kind of an anti kind of like save yourself for marriage. Right. Because sex, sex is an important part of life. Like, I guess that was the best thing I got. It still was, I mean, I didn't get, of course, because like, you know, um, our world was still quite narrow. So, you know, I knew some people who were single moms. But, you know, there was still silence around that. So it wasn't, you know, I mean, I think where we're at today is so much better. Like, Mm Because even back then, uh, I know now, because this is my training, you know, the best practices often were don't tell your kid, right? Mm -hmm. If you were using some kind of fertility support or or Mm -hmm. even an an, adoption sometimes, it was like, don't tell your kid because it will be harmful. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, thankfully, the best practices are, no, no, you tell early, you tell often, you make it part of the story because it isn't, it isn't. A right. It just becomes the fabric of their life. Right. 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 Wait, yeah. Corey, I have to ask you, did you have the book? Where did I come from? Of course. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Still have it behind we me. had that too, my <laughs> sister and I, and I remember looking through that as like a little kid, probably mm-hmm. like four or five. And like, there was pictures of boobs and yeah. like Bush and, yes, exactly. you know, like, and it was bodies that weren't perfect. And I remember we would like pour over that book and we thought it was so crazy that that was in yeah. like an illustrated book. And, um, and it was also fun. I think the, the other thing I loved about it is because it's so funny because I also remember the boobs. Can so you well picture the illustrations so yeah, vividly? Like, like the sperm dead. with like the faces right, on the, them. And then tuxedo. Yes, totally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yes. It's a gr- I, yeah. I actually bought it for my daughter when she was like four and she was like, this is so weird. And I was like, yeah, I guess yes. it is kind of yeah. weird. But. Well, the other thing, I don't know if you, if you read it with her fully, but the other really weird thing that I remember very clearly that I'm still not sure how I feel about it is the description of an orgasm because it was it was one of the things that was so um uh, right, cu- cutting edge about it was that it used the term orgasm mm-hmm. and it said it's like a sneeze like that's how they tried to describe it to kids and i oh, think right. that's a bit I mean, it's not bad it's not harmful but it's a bit weird because kids sneeze because we all sneeze oh and, my god i mean i don't know i mean i think what they were saying was that it's involuntary yeah right? an orgasm is something that you don't it happens i mean i guess you can you know you can do things to make it happen but you can't force it I just um, had like a, sorry to interrupt. I just had like a total no. connection in my brain that I've never had before, which was that when I was like little, like probably in like grammar school, like maybe th- fourth, fifth grade, I used to like roll mm-hmm. up a Kleenex and make myself sneeze. I don't know if you ever did that, but it was like, Whoa. maybe that's the connection there. Like I was trying to give myself we're a workout. early sexual exploration. Did you ever do that? Or I am I totally weird? Uh, I didn't, but I know people who did. So you're not totally weird. I think I, I have a like, nose thing. So. Yes. And then like, of course, <laughs> masturbation, you know, all that stuff. Um, but and I think, funny. yeah, it is funny. Sorry. I just had that. Like, I was like, oh, maybe that's why I did that. Cause where did I come from? Tom told me it felt like a sneeze. Yeah, um, which, was, and which was a good thing. Yes. So, okay. So did you have a lot of LGBTQ like plus people in your life growing up or like, 
Well, I mean, it was the 70s. So that, okay. I mean, there, there were, so the answer is no, actually. So even though, I mean, I, you know, I was raised to, be, certainly I got the message if I was going to be gay, then that would be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have any trans people in my life and I'm genderqueer. So it would have been nice if I had, because my life might be different now if I had known that was an option. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was, I, I mean, it was still, again, it was like, I was, I, I was still raised in kind of um, this sort of like insular middle-class uh, way so mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I had access, I knew there was another world out there mm-hmm. and that's what I think kind of kept me um, alive in a way that I mm-hmm. knew that even I, I couldn't, I was never really finding my friends and I never felt comfortable. Um, but I knew there were other people out there. So mm-hmm. that was sort of very helpful to know like, okay, if I survive this childhood thing, I'll right. probably find my, find my people. Okay. When did you yeah. like find your people and feel comfortable being my- like your authentic self? Oh, well, those are two questions. So okay. I found my people in my twenties. I'm still not fully coming. I mean, I don't know. I, so uh, I don't really know the authentic self language doesn't fit for me. Cause I don't know okay. what that is really. I mean, okay. it, works, it fits for some people. So I'm not, it's not to put that yeah. down, but, but I'm still kind of awkward and uncomfortable in my body a lot of the time. So. Okay. Same, same. <laughs> so it's a, and it's I, a journey. Yeah. Right? And I feel like I'm but still it's better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when did you decide to become a sex educator and author and get into this whole world? So I I thought I was going to be a therapist and not a sex educator because my that's what my dad did right so my feeling was like oh I I'm not going to do anything related to what my parents did but my dad actually got me a job when I was a teenager in a sex store that was owned by these two women and it wasn't like a you know cool hip sex store like there are now but it was owned by these two women who were like decent people who weren't ashamed of sex so even though there was still a lot of like titillation and novelty it was an amazing place to work and I worked there through my college, like undergraduate university. Uh, and then, um, and then I ended up opening my own store with some other people, a worker cooperative, like that was kind of a more of a queer kind of, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, not hip, but store. So, so it was, so, you know, and, and I guess the things I, I went to, I did a master's degree. I thought I was gonna be a therapist, but I have very high energy. And at the time I thought therapists were like these very calm people, like the therapists I had had were all like calm. Right. And they just sit there and they just listen and they don't say very much. I was like, I can't do that. Like when I talk to people, I want to talk to them. I want to ask questions. Right. So I realized education is is more suited to me. So I became a sex educator. I got trained. And so it was like the late nineties. Okay. So why do you think there aren't more like super transparent, relatable books like this one about sex and our bodies and fertility and all that stuff? Like why is it, I mean, okay. Before I have you answer, I would say my Mm -hmm. theory is Mm -hmm. that it's just, like part of it is like a business thing, right? Like when I went to write a infertility book, which never ended mm-hmm. up happening because I was shopping my book proposal around and everyone was like, this isn't going to sell. Nobody buys this. Like, it's just, we're not going to make any money off this. And it was so heartbreaking. I was like, yeah. really? And sad truth is like, I know the people that have come out with, you know, publish, not self-published, but like the ones where they work with a publisher and they really don't sell that many. Like I've seen the statistics, they really don't sell that many copies and it's a bummer, you know? So I'm wondering if, is that part of the reason you think there's not more books like yours? So I want to respond to that though, but uh, but first I'll answer your question, but I want to respond to the the bummer part, especially for you and anyone else listening who might want to write a book. I think it's a couple of things. I think the people who have the information, so the thing is that a lot of people, if you haven't gone through this journey, right? So there are some people, I mean, less and less, who actually go through life with relatively little friction. So they have, if they want babies, they have them when they, when they want them and they, you know, stay in a relationship. I mean, again, fewer of us actually get through life that way. Right. But because of that, but those are the ones with time and energy. 
right? So, the, so part of the answer is like, like why, like, like when I wrote the first book, and it was amazing that no one had written a book like this. Well, the answer is because the people who know that it was needed were being parents, and they didn't have time to write a book. Okay. Right. So, who has the energy to write a book? Number one. So, and and then, but the, it is true that, and and then the, I mean, then the publishing industry just isn't very creative, right? Particularly the mainstream publishing industry. Mm-hmm. They 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 think they know what sells based on what has sold in the past, as if new things don't actually sell, right? So right. as if the as if there isn't a memoir about fertility that couldn't be a bestseller. Of course there is. We haven't seen it. And of course it does need to be like marketed in a certain way, et cetera, right. because of capitalism. But I guess the other thing I want to say to you and to anyone else is like, when they say it won't sell, what they mean is it's not going to sell more than 50,000 copies or something. Like they, right. have a, they have a threshold, right? But if you write a book, and a thousand people read it, and it's helpful to that thousand right. people. That's a gift. Totally. So, well, if you need, I mean, now for those of us who need to make money, like a career, then right. I you may not have <laughs> money. Time what? to do it? Right. But so, so you know, so that's the publishing industry part of it. Um, luckily, what's happened? I mean, we've proved them wrong, right? And that's why the first, the first book in the series was self-published because mm-hmm. nobody did want to publish it. Mm-hmm. Um, our book sells incredibly well, um, and 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 there are more families that want this information. Yeah. 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 Well, that's the reason I started the podcast was because the book wasn't happening. So I was like, wait, I don't need someone to green light a podcast. I'll just do right. this and start it. And a month later, it was up and running. And right. here we are 186 episodes in and it's right. been great. So excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess yeah, you find... because, these, because these stories need to be shared. Right. And the, and the professor totally. like, like, I don't, there isn't another podcast that is called Infertile AF. Um, <laughs> right. And, and, and that's, a, so that is a perspective, like in that title, there's a perspective that, that, that relates to people, right? That people are, are like, I mean, I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, I love this. <laughs> Thank like, this you. Is, this is, this is going to be a conversation that I feel comfortable in. Yes. I oh, mean, good. Me, so I mean glad. like all the judgment that might happen and all the kind of like, you know, um, walking on eggshells, I know it's like, okay, I don't need to do that. You oh, that makes me so happy. Cause there have been people that are like, I don't want to do it based on the title, like just a, a very small amount of people. But I have had people sure. be like, I don't think my family would feel very comfortable. And I'm like, okay, cool. No worries. I, I, absolutely. But you need to know there's lots of families that are the opposite. Totally. Totally. So, yes. le- okay. Let's talk a, a little bit more about the book specifically. You know, you have this inclusivity piece, which I think is so great you know, this power piece. Um, let's just like break it down a little bit. Tell me why the inclusivity piece was so important to you. Well, I mean, it's like what we're talking about in this, this very thing, right? Which is that more of us deserve to see our stories in a book, like reflected in the book. So it, when we say inclusive, what I just mean is I want lots of us to see ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's in the language that's used, in body shape and size, and in experience, right? So for example, nowhere in this book do we say, growing up means learning to have sex because Mm -hmm. some people don't want to have sex and you don't need to have sex to have a perfectly lovely life, right? You don't need to have sex to have intimacy or relationships. So, so inclusivity for us is like, obviously it's stuff about like body shape, size, color, but a lot of it is about experience. And again, so for example, it was really, really important that there's a page on miscarriages because there's bizarrely, we all know how common they are and yet they're not in kids books. Right. And I think this is idea was like, well, it's too much for kids. It's not mm-hmm. right. And the way that we do it is gentle and you can read it or not read it and you can go deep or not. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's, and you know, another thing that's important for me is thinking because as I'm an adult and a parent, um, and of course nobody, this is a thing nobody tells you about is like parenting is just constantly being triggered, right? Constantly you're being triggered about like past harm and violence and trauma, yeah. right. And just, and trouble that you haven't worked through. And and when and so you sit down with your kid to do some sex education, 
And then you realize that like, actually you never got the chance to properly mourn or grieve or work through your miscarriages. And then it's mentioned and like, then you're sitting there. So we write with those parents in mind, mm-hmm. right? So it's a way that you can kind of move in and in out of it. But it's just, uh, it's for us again, inclusivity is just about, it's about having, inviting more of us to the conversation mm-hmm. because then it's going to be better. Can you tell me specifically for people that are listening that haven't seen the book yet, but they will, mm-hmm. um, how did you specifically cover the miscarriage piece of it? Can we talk a little bit more about that? Right. Like, what did so, you yes, feel like it was important to include and all that? I feel like, well, what was, what was important to number one is the word, right? So we want to give kids that the first thing and the, and really the base thing is the language, right? I want kids to know that there's a thing that happens called miscarriage, that when it's the thing we just started, we started this, the conversation with. When a sperm and an egg meet, they do not always t- turn to a baby. And I don't give the stats, but of course we know it's more than half the time they don't, mm-hmm. right? So it's about half the time, half more than half, I can't remember. But um, so I want them to number one, know that it's that that when people try to make a baby, it doesn't work every time. And there's a word for when it for when it starts to grow and it stops growing. And mm-hmm. that's called a miscarriage, or I also offer that it's also called a spontaneous abortion mm-hmm. because it because that term means the medical, something. yeah. Yeah, the medical term when something stops before it's done, mm-hmm. right? So, so that's number one. I want them to know, and then I want, I, and then we just add a lot of things. We add so it's a thing that happens, and when it happens, people have a lot of feelings, right? So, and then we just have a like, you know, some people feel, you know, sad. Some people feel like it's their fault. Something. Some people feel tired. Some and sometimes it hurts, and sometimes it doesn't. All of these things, um, and then we make it very clear that like that it's different for everybody. And so, because I also want that, because that's also true, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so then it just allows, it's allowed space. So you could, as a parent, you could read this with a child um, and not say anything, or you could read with a child and say, that actually happened to me, mm-hmm. right? And right. it doesn't, the other, the other thing is, I guess another big point we make, of course, is when we say people sometimes think it's their fault, we say it's never their fault, right? right. That's not how it works. That's not how bodies work. So we also want to, so this important. is doing a piece of like countering shame, which is this idea that like somehow you did something wrong. Yes. Right? Which is which is what we teach kids, right? That's immediately you, what you think when you have a miscarriage or what I thought, like, what right. what did I do? Oh my God, what did I do? Because how it's did how I, you were raised. It's, I yeah. mean, not just from your, in your family, but it's how all of it, it's how the culture says, like, if you eat too, too much sugar, you get cavities. If right. you eat this way, you're going to get fat or pimples, et cetera. Like, it's always your fault. Right. That's actually not how bodies work. We know yeah. that's not how bodies work. This is a big problem I have with a lot of education is that it's not scientifically accurate. Yeah. So, so that was really important to kind of separate that piece. Yes. Um, but just to have it in. So it's just one page. It's like the book is 432 yeah. pages. It's and, one page, but it was so important. And what about the other like fertility stuff that you guys cover? Like for people that haven't so the, read it. Right. So what's important is, so it's a, so again, it's a comic. So you see illustrations mm-hmm. of all of these things. Um, but we wanted people to know. So we start by saying there's lots of ways to make babies. Mm-hmm. And then in this book, so in our earlier books, because they were for younger kids, you can't really get into it because kids will just stop running to read. But in this book, we cover IVF and IUI yep. and yep. surrogacy and adoption. And actually, we don't do adoption because of this. that part is about making the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but... But, and then we explain it all, right? So there is actually like a little graphic of a The graphics and, are so yeah. good. And I'm like, I was like, oh, <laughs> like I'm even like right. flipping through it. Like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And, but, but, and, and to be clear, if people haven't seen like, so, so we see all this stuff. We don't actually see it happening, right? So at no point, you don't actually see like a boob going into a vulva. But you don't the have the sperm with the bow tie. <laughs> we don't have the sperm with the bow tie. <laughs> um, but the descriptions are there. So you see the, all the kind of, all the medical parts. Yeah. But the nice thing about Fiona Smith's uh, illustrations is they're very kind of inviting. 
Totally. Right? So they're not clinical at all. They're very warm yeah. and kids love them. So that's the other piece I would say is that, you know, this is such a difficult conversation. And one of the ways we can make it easier is by not making it kind of gloomy, right? Or color. clinical or medical. Like let's, let's keep it in the same sort of, it's the same color palette as when we're talking about making friends and having crushes mm-hmm. because it's just part of life. It's all part of life. And part of that's other, the other message is like, life is complicated and messy and, and I have to also just say, kids know that, right? A lot of children's books, the people who make them think we have to keep that from kids, right? We have to keep it nice and light. But of course, we know that the books that kids love the most are always like the, the dark, but the, the books totally. are dramatic. And, yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I dog-eared a couple pages. I just want to read a couple of things that I love yeah. that you wrote. And one of them is um, page 34. It's, it says, people treat sex like it's a mystery. And then I'm jumping ahead a little bit. It says, learning about sex is more than just learning where babies come from and how not to get a disease. And I was like, yes, that's all we learn, right? Like, right. of course, it's so, still all many kids learn. Yeah. <laughs> Things haven't yeah. changed that much, unfortunately. Absolutely. There's one other thing that I want to read that 172, you talk about menstruation. Mm-hmm. And again, these amazing graphics. It says, if a body has ovaries in the uterus, one of the biggest cha- biggest changes during puberty is that it can start to release eggs about once per month as part of the menstrual cycle. So you you kind of like talk through it, but again, it's like mm-hmm. it's got this like playful, you know, upbeat almost. Like it's mm-hmm. it's not the scared, you know, be scared of your body. Menstruation's bad. You're gonna have hormones and be a bitch. You know, like right. it's just like. <laughs> That's what we were taught. It was like, yes, when you have your yes. period, you're crabby. And you know, like, right. it's just, it's such no. a bummer. But I'm so glad again, that it's, it's changing. And thanks changing. in part to, to books like this. And the other thing we do that's very key is that we never say, like we say, we, what we, we say in the language can be a bit clunky when you want to be accurate, but we just say like, it's a time when you might be able to start making a baby, mm-hmm. right? We never say, and again, unfortunately, this is where it slips in. Most sex ed says, once you start having your period, you can make a baby. And that's not true. And it's also sending this message to the 35-year-old that they they did something wrong, mm-hmm. right? So we want to make it from the beginning clear that like not, of, not everybody can make a baby. Right. That doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean that body can't, you know, have a relationship and have love and have a family. Right. Um, they just might not be able to make a baby. Absolutely. Do you feel comfortable, Corey, talking about your family building journey at all sure. a little bit? Okay. Can you Definitely. tell me like what... You went through? Sure. <laughs> well, yeah. So I have a partner and we have a kid. Uh-huh. And so yeah. um, so we did it the old-fashioned way. And so, uh, you know, and it didn't... I mean, I mean, I'm, here's what I'll share about this. Yeah. Is that... And I knew this already intellectually, but intercourse is like the worst way to make a baby, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just... It, it's not because... It, this is this other weird thing, which is like you, you're taught that if that's the kind of... If you have the kind of bodies and that's the kind of sex you have, that... Um, it's fun, right? If you're if you're given that education, which is like it's a pleasurable thing, and then and is also something that you can make a baby. It is not. I think it's a ridiculous way to try to make a baby. It's not a fun way. I mean, I'm not. I, I won't because I don't have consent, so I won't go into the details of it. But I didn't enjoy it. I, I, I mean, I will absolutely say like I did not enjoy the baby making process. Yeah, it wasn't beautiful. It wasn't fun. It was awkward and and frustrating. Yes. Um. And yeah. And it, so it wasn't anything like all of those books, right? Because I think the, and and in fairness, I mean, because the books are focusing, I mean, I'm very happy. I have a kid. It's the best, you know, being a parent, being a parent is my favorite identity. Same. Um, How old is your kid? Seven and a half or seven, three quarters. Yeah. Um, And so, but I don't, but I didn't like the making of it. Yeah. Um, 
And and we were very clear because we are a queer family like that, that we're going to try this one way. And if it doesn't work, we're going to try another way. Uh-huh. Right. And so I mean, that was sort of the gift of, for me, the gift of kind of queer community being queer is that like, I already, there was not, there was not the pressure that if this way doesn't work, then that's it. So we already knew because I also, as I said, I had a lot of friends that had had more complicated fertility right. journeys. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, some of whom included not getting to have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of living through that and that that loss and that grief. Mm-hmm. Um, so so for us, you know, for me, I knew that it was going to be, I didn't expect that it was going to go easily. Mm-hmm. And I knew that it might involve a, <laughs> some different people, mm-hmm. right? That it wasn't this, again, this myth, this myth of just like, well, there's just two bodies and they make And then things. the stork shows up. Like, so it just shows up and then it's just great. They just drop and drop. Right. So that was, that was that. So now can I ask you a question? Sure. Have you... Um, uh, so did, have you read the miscarriage page? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you imagine that you would read that with your kids? Like, have you yeah. thought about that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I was actually talking to my son this morning about he's, uh, he looked at something on my social media and it was rainbow baby day and he's a, okay. technically a rainbow baby. And he was like, what does that mean? I'm a rainbow baby. What does that mean? So I was trying to explain it to him. And then I was like, okay, I think he's even at the age where we can sit together and I, we can go through. And I said, I had four losses. You know, I had, I got four pregnant four times and they didn't turn out to be babies. And I mean, he was, you know, not really grasping it, but it was mm-hmm. a good entree into this, you know, cause I knew that we were going to have this conversation today. So yeah, I do. So for you, so, so, and with your older child, um, yeah. um she's almost it's been 13. A thing you talk yeah. about, so, so miscarriages, like you've talked to her about. Yeah, I have. And yeah. she, you know, she hears me recording this podcast for the past three years and talking about right. this incessantly and on these support <laughs> groups and stuff. So she's very aware of all of this and yeah. Which, so which is, I mean, which is good, right? The thing is yeah. like, she's going to be prepared in a different way than you were. Yeah, um, I hope so. I mean, do you think Corey, that we can kind of change the scope of sex education in the world? Like, Obviously yes. this, this is, okay. I think we, I think we can, I think it's going to take a, ge- a generation, but yeah. like, I mean, you know, the, I mean, our kids are growing up in a very different way with way more options in terms of gender identity and sexual orientation. Yes. Right? So many, many kids, depending on where they grew up, a lot of teenagers already know, but the, know that there's an orientation called asex- asexual and that in fact, not wanting to have sex doesn't make you, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. Um, so I think, I think I do think so. And of course, there, we're also experiencing this, you know, particularly in the States, this giant backlash where we have parents that want to shut these conversations down, mm-hmm. that want to prevent kids from getting any of these books. So, you know, it's not like it's going to be an easy path, but I, I do think, I mean, I think I think the thing that's going to change it is is our kids, right? I mean, they're the ones that are kind of going yeah. to teach us. And they, because kids are also developing new language all the time for all of this stuff. Right. And they're just going to demand more. Like, that's the thing, like when I write for teenagers and then when I work with people who are in their teens and 20s, like, I'm blown away by how much they expect of adults around them, which I yes. was not raised to expect anything. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think that's good. I mean, of course, it can be challenging sometimes because you're like, okay, that's enough. Don't expect so much. Totally. But, it, but they're the ones that are going to make it better. you guys so much. And thank you again to Corey Silverberg. I loved, loved, loved talking to you. Thank you for being on my show. Everybody check out Corey's books, including, you know, sex and many other books. Just Google Corey. You can follow Corey on Instagram at Corey Silverberg. And I also wanted to remind you guys to check out Fertility Rally. Definitely come to us if you need a safe place to land. 
if you need a safe space, it is just the place that I wish I had when I was in the midst of it. My co-founder Blair is in the midst of her IVF journey for baby number two. So we are still in the thick of it. We have incredible support groups. We have incredible Facebook groups, private Facebook groups. We have incredible content and events, IRL and virtual. So we would love to have you as part of our family. Check us out on Instagram at Fertility Rally or go to our website, which is fertilityrally.com. Again, if you want to give this podcast a five-star review and a rating, it really helps us get recognized. And by us, I mean me because it's really just me and my engineer, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan, for all your hard work. So thank you guys again for listening. I will talk to you next time.